electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends, just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and put this in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. This, my friends, is an entirely manic, depressive market. There's a widespread belief that everything's great. Bye, bye, bye. Or everything's terrible. House of pain. Zero middle ground. Which means we're either poised for an amazing run higher or we'll get hit with that fable 10% correction, if not more. Remember, we haven't had a 5% correction in 10 months. After another ugly day, though, with the Dow losing 383 points, has to be shedding 1.07%, NASDAQ declining 0.89%. This logic is incredibly seductive, isn't it? Because it justifies the extreme negative view. If the Delta variant can't be stopped, then we're living in serious times. Uh, times that will freeze economic activity and put an end to the amazing boom in service, in leisure, in travel. Those are all the key pillars of the great reopening. Knock them down. That spells the end of everything from Boeing's nascent rally to the airline's attempts to get back into the black to the hotels, restaurants and small retailers that have been roaring as part of the great reopening trade. But this and this is one important but. If the Delta variant can be tamed, something that Dr. Scott Gottlieb, the former head of the FDA, now a CNBC contributor who must all ever, all ever meet the people who believe in this guy, things could happen as soon as this weekend, then all the stocks you'd be selling under the doomsday scenario, they would have to be bought right back. If Delta peaks, you'll be thanking your lucky stars that you didn't listen to the myriad bears who keep mauling the reopening stocks. There's just one problem with this analysis, though. See, nothing, nothing in this world, especially stocks, is ever black and white. Wall Streeters act like this is an either-or moment, either a disaster scenario or a heaven-sent bull run. But uh, what if the reality is 
is somewhere in between. For example, tonight we'll be talking to Marvin Ellison, the CEO of Lowe's, whose stock tumbled from 193 to 182 yesterday. Why? It's in sympathy with the decline in Home Depot. Then this morning, the company reported an excellent quarter, and the stock jumped 17 bucks. Why? Because Lowe's is not Home Depot. They're in better shape. The chain is in a major transformation. Uh, localizing its stores, making them more uh, friendly to professional contractors. Uh, that's a, uh, a market that had been previously dominated by home despot. Lowe's is also trying to win back female consumers who had been their core demographic until a few years ago before Marvin was there when the company really did lose its way. So is Home Depot living the disaster scenario while Lowe's exists in an alternate universe where everything's fine? Of course not. The doomsday or delight rap makes for a great story. But in the end, it is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. My advice to you, resist this bogus all or nothing analysis. It just doesn't work. Wall Street always seems to embrace these false dichotomies, doesn't it? They embrace them because most commentators place way too much emphasis on big aggregate numbers that are spoon-fed to them from the government because they're so easy. It's like, ah, open my mouth, you know, ah. See, what they do is they try to bolster the case by looking for convincing anecdotes. Other than that, they don't particularly care about what individual companies have to say. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because you weren't up with me at 3.30 in the morning doing it. You know what? It's too time-consuming for them. It's too tiresome. It's too granular. And it does not go with G&Ts. Yesterday, for example, we learned that U.S. retail sales were very light in July, and we didn't know what to make of it. Then Home Depot comes along with a perfect swing and a miss anecdote, uh, talking about how do-it-yourself shoppers slowed down their spending because they wanted to spend their money on something other than renovations after the great reopening got rolling. Well, that made Wall Street suspicious of every retailer, even the good ones like Walmart, and the whole group got pummeled. Uh, Today, though, Lowe's and TJX both told terrific stories. They really make you question the usefulness of that aggregate retail sales number that comes out of the government. It might help an economist cook up a theoretical forecast so that maybe they can teach a really good class that you and I can cut. But in real life, it makes you no money. We saw the same things in the autos. We heard about general weakness in the industry associated with that ugly retail sales number. But what if I told you there are more semiconductors around these days, which allows the automakers to produce new cars, meaning the fall buying season could be fantastic. You still want to sell the auto stocks down here? As I told my favorite Scott Watner during my regular halftime gig, Ford Motor. Ford Motor just tumbled from 16 to 13, even as the chip shortage is easing up. Remember, this is a guy who wants to bury Elon Musk. You think he's happy about his stock going from 16 to 13? You think this is funny? No. All right. Anyway, we got a similar story today. This time, the horrendous aggregate news came in the form of slowing home sales numbers, largely due to sticker shock. Home prices have gone up radically, in part due to commodity inflation, but mostly because we've got a housing shortage. Now we're being told that the Fed needs to take action to cool down the housing market because prices are so high and mortgage rates are so low. Me, I read it the exact opposite way. I think the boom is far from over. COVID originally drove an insane housing frenzy as people fled the cities for more spacious homes in the suburbs or the country. Totally unsustainable. Now, though, I think that frenzy may be settling down. You know what? That's good news for the industry and the stocks. Now, this slowdown had been widely anticipated. The home builders wanted to take this moment to replenish their supply. One supposedly bad month does not demolish the totally bullish scenario of low mortgage rates, strong demographics. You know, you've got 75 million millennials who are increasingly starting families, not to mention low supply and 10 years of pent-up demand. 
All that said, there are plenty of people worried about the biggest intangible out there, one that's weighing on the entire market. Where the heck are we going to be going to work in the fall? Let's say if you live near the center city of Philadelphia, let's say you live in Manhattan, and your business moves out to the suburbs, uh, it's something that may require substantial interaction on a subway or bus, you could be buying a car. Or you move out to the suburbs because you don't want to be able to, you can telecommute for three days a week. Well, again, you don't know what to do. Do you go back? Do you stay? Is hybrid still on? But if you don't know what's going to happen, which is the case for millions of Americans right now, trying to figure out the new hybrid work style, it may freeze you into not buying anything. Let's face it, if you are going back to the office after buying a place further away, you won't be throwing a lot of money at your new house. So what can you do about this moment to make sure that you don't get blown out by a tougher market? How do you thread the needle if it's true that COVID cases really could peak on Saturday? Something that would be fantastic for the stock market and, of course, the country. If you think we are still on the verge of starting to beat the Delta variant, which many people I talk to today think is true, then it's real easy. You buy some Walt Disney, which is now five bucks below where it was when it reported strong earnings last Thursday. If there's a lockdown, they've got Disney Plus. If people are still willing to socialize outside, they've got the theme parks. If it's a full reopening situation, they've got movie theaters. They even have cruise ships. The good news here, every single time the market takes its cue from an ugly aggregate number, and the exception, with the exception of the hugely important non-farm payroll number, which actually is meaningful, you should have an outlier stock that could be worth buying into weakness. It's called your shopping list. The bad news, you still get days like today where it simply doesn't matter and nearly everything drifts down. This is day two of a larger sell-off. All I ask is that as the market gets more hideous, you get more interested in buying something. The bottom line, like every other sell-off that's tried to decapitate the bull and bring you its head on a silver platter, this pullback won't let you make a ton of money immediately. But I think you'll get some great entry points that could set you up for tremendous long-term gains when people realize that Delta is not the end of the world and will end. How about we go to Zach in Pennsylvania? Zach! Hey, Jim. How are you? We're just getting ready for the Patriots tomorrow. Yeah, I think it's an imp- actually I think it's be the important game because we're going to find out who's really starting and who isn't. How can I help? Awesome. Well, I appreciate everything that you do. So Thank I bought you. this stock around 19. It went to 25. Now it's around 17. With their acquisition of on-the-border chips, I'm wondering if this is something I should buy more of. My stock is us. It was not a good quarter. It's not a good quarter because you actually turned out and need a lot of scale. Uh, the snack business, when push comes to shove really does belong to Frito-Lay. Uh, I would prefer to be in PepsiCo, Jones Frito-Lay, than I would be in Utz. Let's go to Joel in Texas. Joel, what's going on? Uh, how about, hey, Craig, we're a first-time caller. Well, Here, I love uh, a first-time checking caller. Out, for checking out stock, H-O-B, Harley-Davidson. Okay, uh, every single few years, Harley comes back with a new management trying to get something right. I actually am going to say that this guy, Zeitz, I think he does have it right. I, I do. I know this is going to be shocking. I haven't recommended this stock since the show began, but I would actually put on a small position of Harley Davidson because this new CEO is real smart. All right, look, unfortunately, or unless you're a bear, and then fortunately, this day, uh, it looks like day two of what it could be a bigger sell-off. I'm not denying that. All I ask is that as the market gets more hideous, you get more interested in buying something because this is not going to be, I think, the gigantic pullback so many do. 
to, to think about. I think it's going to be fine. Get some great entry points on some solid stocks for tremendous long-term gains. Well, man, money tonight. Come and see how I can power your truck. There's an impressive portfolio of hydrogen solutions. Have what it takes to power the company's next layer of growth. I've got the exclusive with the CEO. Then Lowe's soared today after earnings, and I'm going to talk to the company's top brass to see how the home improvement kingpin continues to build itself amid the great reopening. And an under-the-radar life sciences company notched another all-time high today. It's not economically sensitive, and it does well in this moment. I'm going to be checking in with Letter A, that's right, the CEO of Agilent, to learn and understand more about Wall Street's loving about that stock. So stay with Framer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreated in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's talk green, pure hydrogen. I'm a big believer in hydrogen fuel cells. I think this could be the cleaner, greener fuel source that the world's been craving for. When it comes to investing in hydrogen, though, most of these stocks are ridiculously expensive and insanely volatile. I don't want to hurt you. But there are some real companies with real earnings that have made huge investments in hydrogen. Companies like Cummins, CMI, the leading maker of engines for all sorts of vehicles, especially trucks, dominant. 
Thanks to a series of acquisitions over the past five years, Cummins has assembled an impressive portfolio of hydrogen technologies. Hey, look, they were behind the first hydrogen-powered train, the first hydrogen-powered aircraft, the first hydrogen-powered fueling station. And by the way, earlier this year, they built the world's largest electrolyzer. That's the clean way to extract hydrogen from water. So let's take a closer look with Tom Leinbarger. He is the chairman and CEO of Cummins to get a better read on his hydrogen ambitions and his broader vision for the future. Mr. Leinbarger, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, so, Tom, let me just start by talking about what we could be saying here. I could start the conversation by talking about engine growth being up 16 percent, distribution 10 percent, components 15 percent, power systems 12, all double digit. But you are the leader in this free world right now. Because I have to say that because the part of the non-free world is also pretty good at it. In what I regard as being the, the purest form of energy available, green hydrogen. How did you get interested in it and what's the future for it? Well, thank you for that. We, we are a company with innovation at our core. You, you, you talked about our engine position. That was, of course, 100 years in the building. You know, we, we not only developed diesel engines when gasoline engines were the main product in the market, but we also made clean diesel engines. You know, when the, the Clean Air Act in the U.S. came out, we launched a number of new technologies to clean up diesel engines. So we love doing innovation. And, and frankly, the next level of innovation is low carbon technologies. That's what the planet needs. That's what our markets need. And so 20 years ago or more, I worked on my first hydrogen fuel cell project. It didn't succeed, uh, unfortunately. It was too expensive and it didn't live long enough. But when, when the technology started to get to a place where it was durable enough to work for our kind of tough applications, we got back in in a big way. As you said, we made several acquisitions, both from, in fuel cells, PEM and solid oxide fuel cells, as well as electrolyzers. And we now have hydrogen storage tanks. So we're in the full range of technologies to be able to provide both mobile power applications as well as stationary power applications, and then to provide the clean hydrogen itself through electrolyzers. Now, I do want to put it when you mentioned electrolyzer, what matters here is we don't want to be able to create green uh, hydrogen by using bad carbon, so to speak. And you, your company particularly understands that you can create green hydrogen at a, at a very, very low price, but you'd still be destroying the environment. And you, that, you're not, you don't tolerate that. No, that, that's really the point of green hydrogen. So there is a lot of hydrogen already sold into many industries, fertilizers, steel, uh, petrochemicals. But the hydrogen is made from natural gas, which means it's got a carbon atoms at its core. So what we're wanting to do is produce hydrogen with no carbon in it. And so then we want to use renewable energy. Then we want to use an electrolyzer, which basically takes water with, along with this, this uh, renewable energy and creates hydrogen and oxygen. That hydrogen is then green hydrogen. We can then put energy into that um, and, and then use that energy for fuel cells. We can also use it for storage, which is a huge benefit in a renewable grid. So hydrogen is a lot of uses in this green economy that you talked about. And that's why we made the big investments we did. Many, many years ago, I spoke with both Westport and your company about a joint venture with natural gas. And I know that that deal can run out by the end of this year. Uh, I thought it made sense. That was a period where we wanted bridge fuel. You obviously are, are just going to try to go through that, which is still dirty, 
and go right to the cleanest. Some would say that without government intervention in this country, it just can't happen. Is there enough government intervention in that infrastructure bill to make you feel that this is something the U.S. can can catch up to Europe on? Honestly, not yet. Uh, there's a lot of interest by the Biden administration, but there's much more to do. I, I do think Europe is ahead of the U.S. today in the hydrogen area, and they are putting more investment in trying to get low carbon technology, especially renewable energy, hydrogen, even battery electric. They're putting more government infrastructure, government investment into it. And I think the U.S. needs to do some of that in order to make to catch up, really, and to make sure we remain global leaders in these critical industries like trucks and energy and other things like that. And and by the way, it's not just subsidies. It's also infrastructure. It's technology development. It's the whole range of investments that we need. But most importantly, it's a cost on carbon. It's very difficult today to compete with something that has a lot of carbon in it that's a 100-year-old industry with a new technology if there's no cost to add carbon to the atmosphere. So somehow or other, we're going to have to put a cost on carbon if we're really going to make the level of investments we need to at the speed we need to, to make sure we can meet the Paris Climate Accords. But you do have a partner in Mike Worth at Chevron. And there's another person like you dedicated to clean skies. Those, that, par- that partnership can make a great deal of difference, can't it? It sure can. And by the way, we need partners. I, I, I need to say that as clearly as I can, that there's so much to do here. There's infrastructure to build. There's systems to build out. And companies like Chevron have a, have a lot of capability. That's why we formed a partnership with them. We also did one with Sinopec in China for the same reason. Right. We're, we're trying to partner in as many places as we can because there's so much to do to get this green economy going. And, and hydrogen has so much potential we need everybody's oar in the water, frankly, to well, make I'm it so true. I'm so just said it. You know, Elon Musk laughs at you and me. He, he, he says that, that, that it's not the right form. You and I both know that this is what scales. And, and we got to make this work. And I want to just, I'm so proud that Cummins is taking the leader, leadership because you guys know how important uh, trucking is to trying to make the skies greener versus grayer. I want to thank you, Tom Weimer. He's the chairman and CEO of Cummins, one of our great manufacturing companies. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Jim. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Dad Money's back here for the break. Coming up, will your portfolio never stop improving? Kramer kicks around some handy ideas with the CEO of Lowe's. We want to keep our stores clean, bright, fresh, easy to shop. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card. Yesterday, after Home Depot reported a decent, albeit imperfect quarter, the whole home improvement space melted down, including its chief competitor, Lowe's. But last night, I warned you that Lowe's might do much, much better than the despot. Told so. 
When Lowe's reported this morning, it delivered a clean-up size surprise, better than expected across every major line item, with management raising its full-year forecast for good measure. No wonder the stock surged 17 bucks, nearly 10% today. So can this thing keep climbing? Let's take a closer look with Marvin Ellison, the bankable chairman and CEO of Lowe's. Mr. Ellison, congratulations on the quarter, and welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, thank you, Jim. It's great to be back. Marvin, you seem to have accomplished the impossible. And I'm going to be a little anecdotal and empirical. My wife says, you know what? Lowe's is back being placed at women's shop. But the professionals that I talk to for the renovations I'm doing saying, hey, you know what? I'm now going to Lowe's. How have you been able to keep the women and get the professionals? Well, Jim, I think it all starts with a great team. You know, when we started this journey three years ago, we, we understood that Lowe's had had done a good job of creating an environment where our female customers enjoyed the shop. But we were losing ground because we were not innovating and we were not maintaining the elegance that we once had as a company. And we had totally lost a pro customer. We're very blessed and fortunate that our store is, is equally divided between pro and DIY. So we put an intense focus on both. We want to keep our stores clean, bright, fresh, easy to shop. And that's going to appeal to our female customers. We want to lean into decor and live goods, etc. But we want to also get intentional about pro, better service, better products, loading assistance, better delivery. Uh, and more importantly, we want to help pros get in and out fast and get them what they needed to do their jobs. And, and, and we've been very fortunate that we're now seeing those efforts start to pay dividends for us. I got three lows. One's in the city. OK, one's in another city and one's in the country. You know what, Marvin? They're all different. And one of them has hours that are almost around the clock because it's in a farming area. You have made Lowe's localized since you took over. You know, Jim, it was one of the key things that we talked about. You know, Bill Bowles, my executive vice president of merchandising, and his team have done an incredible job of building a field merchandising team. These are merchants that they don't live in the corporate office in Charlotte. They live in the markets where our stores operate. We wanted that because we wanted them to understand the local customer, understand the local demographics, and to make sure that we assort our stores in a way that when you walk in, that you feel like you're in your local hardware store. We still have work to do, but we've come a long way, and, and, the, and it's finally resonating with the customer. And I give the merchant team, along with our operators that are listening to the customers, a lot of credit for the progress we've made so far. Oh, yeah. The stores are very different, and, but all beautiful, all cleaner than I've ever seen them, and all with help everywhere, which matters because we don't know our way around. Now, Mar- one of the other things you talked about, and the, these are the little things that I know make it so your margins are better and why you're doing much better than Home Depot. You talked about something I need, I need help. You say that the company was shifted from a store-based delivery model to a market-based delivery model for big and bulky product. Why does that matter so much for the uh, margins of Lowe's? So, so let, me, let me just give you a view of, of what I walked into three years ago. If you walked into a Lowe's store to buy, let's say, a Samsung washer and dryer, the associate who was selling that product to the customer would literally walk back in the stock room to make sure they could physically lay eyes on that product. If they didn't see it in the stock room, they'd go behind the store looking in a storage container, and they'd try to physically ensure the product was on hand. Then they would go in and sell the product. And then to set up the delivery gym, we would have another associate physically call the customer the next day and work with the customer verbally to try to get the right scheduled delivery time. I mean, you and I both know that that's a a very inefficient and a very prehistoric process. 
So what market delivery does for us, it takes all of the inventory for appliances, as an example, puts it in a centralized distribution center. The associate now can go online, has real-time visibility of the inventory. That inventory goes from the bulk DC to a cross-dock terminal directly to the customer's home, oftentimes next day. Never touches the store. So we don't have to carry all the inventory trying to be in stock on every SKU in every store. We don't have to deal with the damages associated with moving it multiple times. We don't have to deal with the markdowns because you may assort a store incorrectly. And more importantly, the labor savings that we have in our stores is incredible. So in our Florida market where we've successfully launched this, we have improved sales. We have reduced inventory. We have imp improved profitability. We have better delivery times. And most importantly, we have customers who are much happier with our process. So we're in the process of rolling this out over the next 18 plus months around the company. We think it's going to give us improved turns, improved profitability, and improved sales. And we're very excited because it's going to now transition from appliances to riding lawnmowers, to large grills, and select patio furniture. And we think that's a really big deal to give our customers a much better environment when they buy something from us that needs to be delivered. Boy, that's sensational. That makes so much sense. Actually, the other way really makes no sense. So it's really good that you figured that out. <laughs> now, we're in peculiar times. The, the home is where uh, the heart is, uh, but the outside is where the delta is. Your teammates, and they are teammates now, you and I have talked about it. I remember telling you once I went to my, one of my Lowe's and they told me to go to another store. <coughs> that doesn't happen anymore. But what are you doing if you're spending so much money on COVID? What are you having to do to do Delta COVID? Well, well Jim, you know, this is the most difficult and unique environment to operate retail stores in. Uh, first and foremost, our, our objective is always the health and safety of our associates and our customers. And we put incredible steps in place to ensure that we're maintaining a safe environment for our associates to work and our customers to shop. In addition to that, Jim, we want to make sure that as a company, we're very conscious of the needs of our customers. Look, we don't have a crystal ball and we don't know what's going to happen relative to customer mobility, but we're very comfortable that our total home strategy gives us the agility that we can manage in this environment to serve our pro and DIY customers while keeping our associates safe. And, and another point I want to add, Jim, you know, this past quarter, you know, we, we had such success that we were able to pay out in our associate profit sharing program. This is specifically for hourly associates, $91 million in bonuses just for the second quarter. That's $20 million over the target payout level and we're going to be paying this to our hardworking associates out there that's working every day to create this great environment for our customers. And as a former hourly associate, I think it's a great gesture for all companies to do what we can to take care of our associates during these really difficult times. Well, it does change the feel of stores, and we know that. I know this is a day to celebrate. I know you've been taking some share from other people. Don't want to rub it in their face. Don't want to get them angry. But I cannot, I would be remiss not to talk about all the things you're doing for minority business people. And I want to know how that's going because it doesn't get touched on by the analysts. And yet in many ways, it's heart and soul of Lowe's. Well, you know, Jim, uh, when I arrived, you know, we wanted to, to make sure that, that Lowe's uh, became a more inclusive company, not only for our associates and our customers, but for suppliers. 
And so, you know, I sat down with, with Bill Bose, my head merchant, Marissa Thalberg, my chief marketing and brand officer, and we came up with an idea of how we could do this in a way that could be, you know, fun, interesting, and engaging. And, and we borrowed from the whole Shark Tank philosophy of, of having a pitch program. So we were fortunate to get Damon John from Shark Tank. He's working with us for the second year in a row. And, and we basically put out the word to all minority entrepreneurs, if you have a product that you think can sell in a Lowe's environment, install online, we're giving them a chance to pitch this product. You know, last year we had thousands of, of applicants and we were able to narrow it down to, to the top five. Now, beyond that, we were able to select, you know, you know, probably a dozen plus suppliers from this process that are working with us. And now we have the second year in a row and we have, you know, over a thousand applicants. And I'm excited once again to be part of the panel to hear some of these wonderful pitches on these products. This is all about giving individuals a shot at the American dream. I mean, we get billions of eyeballs on Lowe's.com and we get, you know, hundreds of millions of transactions in our stores on an annual basis. And, and we're going to give an entrepreneur out there a chance to get their product in front of all these customers. And I think it's just a wonderful gesture. And it helps us to create better diversity with our supplier base. That I know I should have talked about lumber. I should have talked about appliances. But I just you just talked about America and what can be great about the American dream. And that's how I want to leave it. On a great day for Lowe's, Marvin Ellison, chairman, president, and CEO. Great to see you, as always. Thank you, Jim. Some stories are good stories. Lowe's being up huge. The other guy not being up so much. That's a win. Marvin Ellison, chairman, president, and CEO of Lowe's, L-O-W. And it's still a vibe. Stay with me. Coming up, this company keeps life science labs locked and loaded with the tools they need to chase humanity's next big breakthrough. Can it equip your portfolio for success? Find out next. Another day, another record for letter A, Agilent Technologies, the maker of instruments, software, and services for the life science, diagnostics, and applied chemical industries. How much do I love that pastiche? Here's a stock that spent the last 16 months quietly marching upwards. I've been recommending Agilent since we spoke to them in April of last year during the first wave of the pandemic, and the stock's more than doubled from there. A lot of that has to do with COVID testing, a business that's making a huge comeback now that the Delta variant is spreading like wildfire. However, there's much more to this story than the virus. Last night, Agilent reported a terrific top and bottom line beat, accelerating revenue growth. You know how much I love ARG, up 26% year over year. That was driven by their pharma, chemical, and energy businesses. I think this one's incredible because during a year of wild sector rotations, this stock just keeps steadily working its way hard. Do not take it from me. Let's dig deep with Mike McMullen, the president and CEO of Agilent Technologies, to learn more about the quarter and where the company's headed. Mr. McMullen, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim, as you know, it's Mike, and it's a real pleasure to be back on. Thanks for having me back on. And I think it was April 2020, you and I had our first conversation. That's way back. Those early days of this pandemic. And uh, I would say on the Agile front, a lot's happened since then. But I'd say, Jim, there's been two constants throughout that time period. Uh, it's been our commitment to our team and to our customers. On the team, right out of the gate, we said the health and safety of our team is number one. And that includes our job security. We wanted to take that worry right off the, the, the table. We guarantee people's job. We said there'll be no layoffs, there'll be no salary cuts because of COVID-19. And then we told our customers, we will be there for you. We will answer the call for you. 
And I'm really proud to say that I think our team delivered on those commitments. And Jim, I think that's the storyboard behind the great numbers we've been posting, as you saw yesterday in Q3, is just one more example of that. Well, one of the things that did amaze me about what your company did was that it came out of the pandemic a lot stronger than it went in. And that's hard for me to believe because I always liked Letter A from the day it was spun off. I liked Letter A. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Glad right? to hear that. You know that. But from, from the last 18 months, you've actually transformed the company into a much bigger, better company than it was going into the pandemic. Absolutely, Jim. And as you may recall our conversation, we said we're executing this build and buy growth strategy and we're going to invest through the pandemic. And we, we committed to our team. We committed to our customers. And we commit to continued investment and growth. And as proud as I am of the results we've delivered and proud of the uh, the work we've done relative to COVID-19, you may recall some of our stories about the great work our teams have been doing relative to COVID support. Our story is one of core business growth. Um, Our core business, non-COVID, is up 26%, as you noted in your call. And we're on track with our updated guide to add $1 billion of incremental business because of in the non-COVID sector for us. Now, listen, we're still out there providing solutions and capabilities and support for those in the fight for COVID-19 against the co- fight against COVID-19, but it'll be a slight headwind for us this year. So it's a, it's a core business growth story. Now, I, I didn't like the headlines, which pulled that comment that this this stock got hurt because uh, this company got hurt because it's a, a headwind. That was really not the narrative. I think more than the narrative is kind of what you've done, like by uh, acquiring Resolution Bioscience. To me, now, that's an evergreen situation. We're always going to, unfortunately, need that. Absolutely. So I'm really glad you're a close student of the, the Agilent business and what we're doing here. So uh, and the Resolution Bio is just the latest example are executing this build and buy growth strategy. What do they do? So this is all about participating in the cancer diagnostics market, part of this whole push on precision medicine. So there's been just a proliferation of new drugs being developed by our pharma partners. We work very closely with them so that we can ensure that the patient, when they go to see their doctors, that that drug will actually work for them. And this is what Resolution Bio does, but it's in a non-invasive manner. It's through a blood test you'll be able to tell whether or not that particular prescription or a therapeutic would work for you. So very exciting. And it's one of the reasons why Agilent, the Agile team is so proud to be working for this company, what we do and what we can enable via science. Now, you have had uh, a, a really kind of one of the great relationships with China of any of American companies. I was curious, you've got hospitals in Shanghai that hand, handle 500,000 people a clip. What they could do with Resolution Bioscience would be amazing. Is it possible? Absolutely. So uh, I think you know the history of Agilent in China. It goes back decades. We were one of the first companies to go into China, actually in the days of Hewlett Packard, as one of the first uh, technology JVs. And we see great potential in China for resolution bio and other aspects of our genomics and diagnostics business. And we are operating from a position of strength. We've been there for years. We have a strong team. We have strong in-country capabilities, and we know how to work with the Chinese customers. So we're really excited about the possibilities there. Well, I think your company is a, in the pantheon of a couple of companies that I follow, like a, like a Danaher, like a Thermo Fisher, like an Illumina, where it just doesn't matter. You just get better and better no matter what the season is. And a lot of that's great leadership. A lot of it is the team. And a lot of it is you, Mike McMullen, President and CEO of Agile Technologies. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for your kind comments, Jim. 
They're good. And the, and the company is just, what a stock. Anyway, I, I'm like letter A, Fred. I just want to double down on it, man. Money's back into the break. Stick around. May I make a suggestion? I would stay with Fred. The lightning round is coming up next. It is time! It's time for the lightning round! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski day for the lightning round! Let's start with Kate and Georgie. Hey! Hi. Hey, how are you? my young... I'm good. Yesterday, my young essential worker son, Gage, asked what stock he should buy. I like Intuitive Surgical Inc. I like robotics. I like it in this area. It split three for one not too long ago, and recently they announced another three for one split. IFRT. Oh, I like Intuitive Surgical very much. Great management, great growth, number spike. One of the best performing stocks of the year. I say bye, bye, bye. Now we're going to Jackson, Ohio. Jackson. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Jimmy. Quite welcome. Hey, it's on a pretty good little pullback. Is it time to add more SWKS Skyworth? I'm going to say yes. I like the acquisition. I like Liam Griffin. I like what the raps. I got to tell you, Liam is so smart. He is such a big provider of chips to Apple that, that he, he pretty much is the most bankable company that Apple works with. Now we're going to go to Bill in New York. Bill. Hey, Jim. We love your show and Thank all you. the good work you know, and help, helping people. That's, that's Thank you. That about. is what I'm trying to do. And I know a lot of the people, I want to thank all the people in the mentions column who are saying such nice things about me. What's up? Well, I, I've been telling my kids for years about the bulls and the bears and the pigs, and I think they finally have it. They got it now, which, you know, that will help them in the future. But anyway, I wanted to ask you about canopy. I've heard you say a few times... You know, look, we need legislation. We need it now for Canopy. I'd rather do it in the much more hedged way of owning Constellation Brands as a stake in Canopy rather than rolling the dice. I'm feeling the same way, by the way. Tilray, I know Tilray's got a lot of support. They bought that MedMen, a senior security that will get them control of MedMen, but I cannot embrace this group until we see legislation, and I don't see it on the horizon. Joe in New York. Joe! Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Joe. Booyah. Ah, booyah to you. I'm calling about a renewable natural gas Class 8 trucking company who will likely be first to market with both hybrid and EV solutions. They also have a migration path to hydrogen. The U.S. Secretary of Energy is showing interest, and they just named Dennis Gallagher as COO. Jim, what are your long-term and short-term outlooks for ticker symbol H-Y-L-N? Oh, man, that was just, you know, so many people were, I'm going to use the unfortunate word, pumping that on me. And it never really amounted to much. And I've got to tell you, I just don't think it has it. It's one of those electrified powertrains. There's like five of them. There's five charging stations. There's five this, five that. We have too many of this kind of stock, and they're not working. I'm going to try to do a piece next week on my uh, actual talk where I actually mention the supply issue if I don't get to it tomorrow. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, is the stealth move in drug stocks a prescription for profits? Kramer takes his medicine next. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. 
Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. I'm going to be a hologram just exactly. Yep, you might what Elon Musk he said might that I'm be a hologram. He was right the whole time. Maybe I am a hologram. <laughs> I don't know for sure. I, I think I think David poked you before no. to make sure. No, I, Dave, well, David, that, I think Matt from Jeopardy turned out to be a hologram. <laughs> it all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. You are super. You are awesome. I'm a first-time investor. Thank you for inspiring me to get in the game. Your show is the best. I am so glad you're on TV. I want you to know that you have transformed me. Thank you, Kramer. Sometimes a rally just sneaks up on you and you end up missing the whole darn thing because you didn't notice until it was too late. I don't like that to happen here. And that's how I feel, though, about this stealth move in the entire drugstore cohort. How did we miss it? That's what you'll be saying. See, every time we see an individual farm or biotech name that's running, we immediately search for a company-specific explanation, not a sector one, and we can always find one. So let's take Pfizer. This stock has been a banshee with an amazing move, especially now that we're heading, uh, hearing all this uh, talk of COVID booster stocks, stocks like uh, we have President Biden talk about today. The Delta variant's given them a huge tailwind in 2022. They will really, that's going to really help. And you know why? Because Pfizer is about to lose some patent protection on some major drugs. If COVID becomes an endemic disease where you need a new vaccine every year, that could be a gigantic revenue stream for them. They can make an acquisition with all that money. It's going to bridge the gap. But wait a second. While Pfizer might have the boost it needs from booster shots, that sure doesn't explain why the stock of Johnson & Johnson keeps running. Based on the data we've seen, it's looking like J&J's vaccine could have the least protection against these new strains, even as it's been excellent at preventing severe cases. So how come its stock has been running every bit as hard as the stock of Pfizer's? Simple. Surprise, surprise. This is a group move, not a collection of company-specific moves. The drug stocks are roaring because despite all the posturing ahead of last year's election, Washington hasn't done a thing about drug prices. Not one. Now, a lot of investors freaked out about the healthcare industry when they saw we'd be getting a Democratic trifecta. It didn't happen that way. It was a mistake. The rally feels like the multi-year move in the drug stocks during the early to mid-90s after President Clinton bashed them in a speech at Merck's own New Jersey headquarters. It was legendary. And then, boom, it turned out to be a tremendous buying opportunity because Clinton was unable or unwilling to follow through in his plan to bash the heck out of drug stock profits. Yep, that's what's really driving these stocks. Election relief. Even the ones that aren't doing anything exciting, like the sleepy old Bristol Myers. Uh, it, it, that's done well. No, don't, look, don't get me wrong. Uh, uh, there's a lot to like about Bristol Myers. Got a consistent track record, nice dividend, anti-cancer business is poised to take market share, not to mention the mega blockbuster anti-coagulant eloquence. But it's just multiple expansion that's driving this baby. Now, uh, it means it's being re-rated. People willing to pay more, more for the same earnings. But should the stock be up here at, at 68? You bet it should. Wall Street will absolutely pay a higher price to earnings multiple for this thing. Now, the Biden administration seems to be turning a blind eye to the group. And the country, by the way, seems to have shifted on, this, on the stocks, given what they've been able to accomplish against COVID. All right, now there's GlaxoSmithKline, which is also working on an anti-COVID uh, vaccine. Not long ago, Glaxo was targeted by Elliott Management, aggressive activist hedge fund, for its underperformance. Oh, they wanted big corporate governance changes as the stock has been a terrible laggard. Now, now it's on fire. 
people are still asking me, what's going on? What's going on? I said, well, look at the rest of the group. I mean, how about Eli Lilly? Now, people are paying 34 times earnings for this thing because they believe the new Alzheimer's drug rolls back brain plaque and can potentially reverse the symptoms of this horrifying disease at some point in the future. Uh, I agree with that. Just so you know, I agree with it. But if you look at the action in the stock, well, the future is now. Don't forget about Regeneron. Talked about that last night. Just hit a new 52-week high today, and why not? It's got a successful treatment for COVID that gets you out of the hospital much faster. Not long ago, Regeneron was in the hot seat for charging a fortune for a cholesterol jug. I don't hear any anti-Regeneron talk now. Scott, Got- Dr. Gottlieb, who's, by the way, on the board of Pfizer and Illumina, he's positive about it, too. Whoops, that was done really fast. And finally, there's Abvi. It's sneaky. It's moved up in anticipation of the rheumatoid arthritis drug, Rinvoke, getting FDA approval for other, another, other types of arthritis. Something that could plug the hole from the Ujumira patent expiration that's caused this one to trade at such a low price earnings multiple. And yes, AbbVie has maybe, I, I would say, the lowest multiple and also has one of the highest dividends. Two more reasons we honor for the Chapel Trust, where you can see all of our moves before we make them by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. Yes, I think the, drought, the drug rally, which faltered and faltered hard today, is an opportunity because it's far from over. Given the relative low valuations of the group still versus every other sector, particularly technology, you could argue this moves only in its third inning. I like that. A lot more baseball to play. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.